automakers are getting heavily involved in electric and autonomous cars, and the market for ride-sharing is growing fast. On today's show, we are joined by three experts to find out how dealers will play a role in this new world of mobility. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. Welcome to AutoLine This Week, coming to you from the NADA convention. That's the National Auto Dealers Association. Today, we're going to be talking about the retail side of the business. And boy, do I have a powerhouse of a panel, starting with Rob Koenig, the president of Penske Automotive. Mark Scarpelli is the outgoing chairman of the NADA, also a retailer in Chicago. And Tim Jackson is the president and CEO of the Colorado Auto Dealers Association. I want to thank all three of you for being here with me today. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. Rob, let me start with you. I'm just wondering what your outlook is of what's going on in the, automo- in the American market right now. I mean, you and, and Mark are down in the trenches. You have got to make these sales. And one of the things I'm curious about is, you know, we heard uh, how the year ended up going down a little bit. But when I dug into the numbers, retail sales were actually up. It was the fleet that was down. You know, we've got some positives and negatives going into this year. Interest rates are going up, but there's a big tax cut, too, that's putting uh, money in people's pockets. What's your outlook for the year? Yeah. We feel, you know, I, I, we feel very good. I mean, business continues to be strong and continues to be, you know, be, be healthy. I mean, we see pockets of geographic weakness, but it's, but it's not monumental. You know, you think about uh, a year ago, uh, what, you know, you would have, I think we would have expected that the market would have been under a lot more pressure than it is. I think the tax cuts have helped. I think consumer confidence has helped. I think, uh, you know, the just general health of the macro environment is really keeping the customers coming in. So maybe where, you know, the expectation is, uh, you know, a 16 and a half, 17 million star, uh, you know, maybe, you know, maybe we'll continue at that healthy, healthy level. You know, I would take a star at 17 million all day long, even though our analysts say you got to grow every single day, <laughs> you know, but I would take it, I would, I would take it all day long. And when it comes down to interest rates. You know, you, I think as a retailer, it's important for us, and we have, we have to manage our expenses because of the, the amount of floor plan uh, that you carry. But um, on the retail side, you know, a 30, every 25 basis points on a, uh, a $30,000 car is about $6 to $7 a month. So it's, it's not extraordinary, and yet at some point maybe it starts to really hurt the business. But right now I think we're, we're, feeling, we're feeling pretty um, optimistic about where the business is. Yeah, great. Mark, how do you see what's going on in the market right now? You know, I, I would concur as a, as a retailer. Our business model is, is a little bit different, but it, it, it's all the same at the end. We, we're a family of dealerships, been around for almost 60 years. I'll tell you, tell you what, uh, consumer affordability and access to money is key for customers. If that can happen, um, you know, all bets are off. It's going to be a great uh, market. We've never had the best product ever that we have today. Uh, you know, worry-free, latest, greatest technology. Very, very optimistic. As a retailer myself, we're optimistic as we are every day. We're in business. We're there to, to make a difference. And if we weren't, we shouldn't be there. We're the eternal optimist. 
Tim, Colorado seems to be doing better than most of the rest of the nation. You must be pretty optimistic, too. The dealers in Colorado are very optimistic, and, and they set a new high water mark in 2017. The market was up about 6% retail uh, for the year and uh, eclipsed the previous all-time high in the year 2000. Colorado is a gross state, but... Um, the uh, in new used car sales, uh, which is uh, the profit side of the business, uh, was up equally uh, or even better than new car sales. So um, it's, it, um, dealers are doing very well, but more importantly, and Mark hit on it, uh, consumers are doing very well. Consumers have never been served better than new car than on their new cars than they are today. Uh, Thirty years ago, somebody going in and buying a new car would expected to have kept it two or three years and drive it 30 or 40,000 miles. Now there's not a new car in the showroom today that a consumer, if they don't want to keep it, if they want to keep it 10, 12, 15 years and drive it two or 300,000 miles, they can because uh, they'll last that long and, and the culture has really changed. Uh, vehicle, new cars are better on, the, um, better on the environment, much fewer, lower emissions on tailpipe emissions, uh, much safer. That's why overall traffic fatalities continue overall to decline versus vehicle miles traveled and the cars last much longer. So uh, in quality terms, new cars have never been better. I can't believe what's going on in the market from a product mix standpoint. We have never seen a shift. I have never seen a shift. I don't think the industry's ever seen a shift like we have of people going away from passenger cars and going to crossovers, SUVs, and pickup trucks. How do you sell cars in a market that's walking away from that segment? Well, here, here's what I'll tell you. There, there's a, a massive change in that there are still a, a certain amount of the public that wants a sedan, and they're getting uh, very OEMs are getting very creative in technologies that are on cars now, uh, automobiles, four-door cars in particular. And there's there's still a market for it, but it used to be in my world the seismic change is that if you looked at a sport utility or a pickup truck, the mileage on that vehicle was horrible. And, and now you have the sport utility or the pickup that equals or is greater in some cases than a sedan. So that's part of that seismic change as well. But there's still a need for a sedan Long live the sedan. Yeah, you know, I, I, I agree with that uh, completely, that um, there, there's always going to be the buyer, uh, the customer for the sedan. Um, I think the real test, in my view, e even with the greater fuel efficiency, may mitigate it some, but the real test is the um, fuel prices. You know, uh, the American consumer is remarkably reactive to fuel prices, rational or not. I mean, the moment that you see fuel prices go up, you got a line for Priuses. And it is, um, it, you know, it, yeah, it is. It's, 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 it's immediate. So I think that will really be an indicator whether or not this is a you know a, a, a secular shift or a total shift in the um, in the in the industry, and our uh, light duty truck sales uh, increased percentage wise of the overall market by a full five percentage points. We were already two thirds of the market at sixty six point seven percent at the end of twenty sixteen. We grew it to seventy two percent by the end of twenty seventeen. Huge growth and it's monumental growth. Almost three out of every four cars our dealers sell are not cars, they're light duty trucks. Yeah, you know, be in 2016 and 2017 put together, sales of passenger cars dropped by 1.4 million units. A huge drop. I, like I said, I've never seen anything like it. Rob, I think you're right. I think a, a lot of it's fuel price sensitivity. But if I listen to the oil companies and watch what's going on in the fracking part of the, uh, the business, it looks to me like Cheap fuel price is going to be the norm for a long time to come. You know, you, you never know exactly what's going to happen in the future. How low might past cars go? 
I guess I don't, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I think, I think if that's right, I think if the fuel prices stay the way they are and the consumer level of interest on the sedan side, or on the, on the SUV side stays where it's at, then uh, it's going to continue shifting. I think it was in December, I, I, th I think the number was 75 or 80 percent, something like that, in terms of SUVs, even though for the year we ended up at 64 and a half percent. So even December you saw a big, big spike um, a big spike back up, so I, you know I think I think it continues. I think it'll continue to be under pressure. And you know, imagine it's easy being the retailer. You know, imagine being the manufacturer. And when you talk about the the the, the investment and the timeline to tooling for these vehicles and. And if you know, how do you make that kind of prediction when you really don't know whether or not this is a permanent shift? And, and on that point, there have been some manufacturers that have missed that anticipation of the market. Yeah. Some of the manufacturers have missed the curve totally and now are retooling and yes. getting, and hopefully consumer taste and demand will remain SUV or sport utility or pickup truck because then they're going to be on the other side of it. Yeah. So it's a very difficult thing. It can't be changed in a month or two. It's three, four year cadence now to, to set up that product line again. Another challenge ahead for retailers, this move to electric cars. And as you guys know right now, electric cars in the American market represent 0.7% market share. But the state of California, nine states in total that are gonna account for something like 40% of all sales in the US are mandating that in less than seven years, it's gotta go from 0.7% to 15%. What do you guys think are going to happen? Mark, you want to start with that? Well, absolutely. First and foremost, the driving factor in all of this, with which we kind of all forget, it, whether it be in your government or in our government or the media, we're going to go where consumer demand leads us, period. And it's hard to dictate to customers, to people, that you're going to like this and it's going to be 15% of the market, unless it's mandated or voluntold, as I like to say. They're going to vote with their checkbooks. We as retailers, guess what? We're gonna shine any, uh, sell any shiny object that we want to. A new automobile, whether it's a car or a truck, it's brand new, if the customer wants it, we're gonna sell it. And if it's an electric, I'm selling it. But our customers are not flocking to our dealerships. Let's face it, automobiles today, cars and trucks, combustion engines are the most fuel efficient ever. I sell Chevrolets. I sell a Chevrolet Cruze. That vehicle, an eco version of that, will get 42 miles per gallon. You can buy two Chevrolet Cruzes for a, a competing all-electric vehicle. That tells the story to me. I'm on the front lines. I'm in the showroom. I see it. I see it daily. So. Yeah, and unless you get heavy, unless there's some heavy subsidy to support that payment, well, you know, it, it, it's just not. It's not economically viable for to uh, for the customer to come in. Um, the, you know, the other thing that I think is really going to drive electric is um, China. You know, you say, unless you're told, well, they're told in China. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and the population is so big. And in terms of acceleration and development, you know, on, on the powertrain side, on the electric side, um, I think China could really drive it. And it could be the entry or the success in the Chinese market that could extrapolate over into the U.S. The other um, thought I had is, you know, this Mission E Cayenne coming out, um, at from the end, Porsche. From Porsche, yeah, at the end of the year. I mean, you it's know, all electric. It's all electric. It's it, gorgeous, too, it's by the way. It's a beautiful car. It's a Porsche car. It's not a you know, aftermarket reconfiguration on the inside. It is uh, 500 kilometers um, in terms of range, and it charges at 80% in 15 minutes. I mean, 
I'd buy that car. <laughs> I mean, all day long. Now, you, when you get into the volume side, I mean, it's a whole different thing because you're not shopping that premium. But, but that is that is technology that I think you know, car enthusiasts will will adapt to. Yeah, and that's about 350 miles. Yeah, just yeah. right. 350 so miles. Five hundred kilometers. Yeah. Tim, how do you see it? Well, in Colorado, and Rob mentioned incentives, and Colorado has among the richest incentives in the country: five thousand uh, dollars per copy, and on top of the seventy-five hundred federal. And yet, we haven't broke the one percent mark either. So dealers, and Mark and Rob know this, dealers are ready to sell electric cars, and dealers want to sell whatever the consumers want to buy. But they're really, we have to get, uh, a few things need to happen. One is the, the range has to has to improve, and, and with all the manufacturer investment, that's, that's going to happen. But um, we've got to capture the imagination of the consumer. So there has to be more pull on the part of the consumer and less push on the part of government and, and the factories, and it, it will grow organically eventually. Um, our dealers are prepared to sell electric cars, though. They've got charging sure. stations. We've got charging stations at our office. We, we charge electric cars every day. But uh, yet, it, they really haven't taken off, even with all that r- very rich incentive. One of the critic- or criticisms of the, the pro-EV crowd is that retailers really don't do a good job of it. Maybe in certain markets, California and the like, L.A., San Francisco. But their general criticism is that People in the, the salespeople in the showroom really don't know much about it. They they don't have the cars stocked. How do you guys respond to that? John, let me again try and clear up the, the misnomer there. Uh, as retailers in, in our brands that we sell, and I assume it's across all, all brands, that we uh, go through extensive training. We make sure that we're ready. As Tim said, at, at my dealerships, we have a couple charging stations at each of the dealerships. We charge EVs for free at our dealership. We have a whole technical staff that were required to buy technical tools and all of those things. We are ready. We stock them. The, the issue at this point is whether it, it's customer demand or customer awareness, I think we're kind of all on the same page. But again, I'll relate to it. it's the new shiny object and whatever the customer would like in it, and I stock it and we stock it, we're there to serve the customer. We're ready. We're ready to embrace the future, wherever that may be told. I just want to piggyback on what you had said about China. We were there in Shanghai about six months ago and talked to manufacturers, and we talked, how are you getting this electric market going so fast? And said it was government mandated. It's going to be that way. It's, it's a relatively immature market. Uh, there, are, there are a lot of cars on the road, but it's a brand new market, six, eight, ten years, where ours is mature. We have a, a car park uh, rolling around America in excess of 75 million cars or greater. To move our market into all V is going to be monumental, seismic, and it's going to take decades. There, they're going to be told it, it is, and in a few years, it's going to happen. Yeah. They're told, and they have massive incentives in China, too. But, Rob, how do you guys deal with this criticism that retailers really are not that well prepared to sell electrics? I, I agree with Mark. I mean, I think in your initial comments on this, you said that um, it is we sell what the customer wants, and what the, and what, and the customer wants a, a car, we'll sell them. I don't care if it's electric or if whatever the powertrain might be. And then um, it's, it, has to be, it has to be affordable. I think dealers do a great job. I mean, it, would, it doesn't matter to us, whether you buy an electric car, maybe on the service side it might matter a little bit, but um, you know it doesn't it doesn't matter much to us, and we're not trying to inhibit 
um, the development of electric. I don't think we have, I would like to tell you we have the ability or the power to do that. We, we're not that powerful. <laughs> exactly. Tim, what do you say? You know, dealers are making a huge investment, not only in infrastructure, but a lot of dealers have, have invested in their people to, to train and educate uh, the lead salesperson on the EV. So we've got the number one niece, uh, leaf dealer in the country in Boulder, Colorado, and maybe it's because it's Boulder, Colorado, but, but they prepare for it. So they have a, a dedicated staff, a line of EVs, and, and uh, they sell them in, in volume there. Uh, the, the dealerships that have done that, and many have, they've taken that uh, market proactively actively and in Colorado they've got the the boost from the government for the for the incentive and they do much better uh, NADA has a program um, has a dealer education drive education program on on EVs and we've actually taken education and training programs locally to dealers uh, to help them uh, inform their salespeople how to better prepare for the market I don't buy that dealers don't want to sell EVs it's it couldn't be further from the truth because as you've heard here dealers want to sell anything consumers want to buy but um, there's what what happens we've got Toyota dealers that say hey I sell a lot of Corollas from for people that came in wanting to buy a Prius and have seen the price point difference. Chevy dealers have sold a lot of uh, Chevy Cruises from somebody coming in wanting to buy a Bolt or a Bolt because of the price differential. As the prices um, level out and where uh, it's predicted to, that EVs will be as, uh, as affordable as the ICE, then it will be a much different market. Okay, let's move from EVs to AVs, autonomous vehicles. That's the, uh, the hottest topic in the industry right now. How is the retail industry preparing for this? Rob, what are your, some, some of your thoughts? Well, my, my view on, on autonomy is, I, it, you know, autonomy at, at varying levels is inevitable. I don't know if you ever get up to level five. Maybe you do, but probably not anytime in the near future. Um, and so there, 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 there's not much to prepare for. I actually, my view is, is uh, prepare by sort of being a, a little bit aggressive on what the projections are and what, uh, and what we should be doing as a business. I sometimes listen to people say, um, you need to uh, focus on autonomy, you need to prepare for autonomy. And my reaction is, as a social, we stop selling cars today. I mean, I'm not quite sure what it means. That being said, I mean, I mean assume sort of that um, nirvana of um, pure autonomy, I mean, I think that's pretty good for dealers and it's good maybe even for someone like us or a company like ours where we have the truck side of it because they have to be serviced. Autonomy, that, 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 that is a huge service opportunity uh, in terms of more fully utilized fleet that provides, uh, uh, that, that, you know, it needs to have the car fixed or repaired and maintained and clean. And, you know, the only footprint that can really do that is, is the dealer footprint ultimately. Yeah. You know, the, those levels of, of, of autonomous are anywhere from one to five, five being the vehicle that just drives itself, picks you up, all of that. On today's shelves, on OEM shelves, um, cars have a level three and somewhat level four right now. That's still with a driver behind the wheel. Um, if you get to, uh, I think the statistic is if you get to level four, you can save 80% of the traffic uh, fatalities and still have that person behind the wheel. It's inevitable. Uh, we have a lot of things to, to, to work through uh, in our infrastructure, bridges, roads, the technology itself. And first and foremost, uh, safety is in mind, consumer safety. We at NADA uh, advocate that. We, we're, uh, we're watching and making sure that, that the laws represent consumers, consumers' demand as well as safety. Uh, that's what we're looking out for as well. And you and I had an opportunity to talk about this a little bit at the Detroit Auto Show. I think dealers will be uh, perfectly situated 
to uh, support an autonomous network. And uh, both from the own cars that they will uh, sell, the privately owned cars that, for those that want to buy an autonomous car, and I do, and we have a lot of dealers that do, but for those that are shared rides, because the, the individual shared ride, the uh, let's say the autonomous Uber, the autonomous Lyft, um, I don't wash my car every day or maybe every week, but these cars are going to be washed in service um, after they've hauled 40 different passengers through a day. They're going to need service. If they're electric, they're going to need charge. Dealers are strategically located around our metro areas to be the ideal resource for supporting an autonomous network. When, when those fleets are in service, they'll be filling up the roads. And by the way, as Rob knows in Denver, the, uh, the roads are already pretty well filled now, but they'll fill them even, even more. At nighttime, they'll be in the dealership lots being charged, being cleaned, being serviced, the LIDARs being tested. And that's a whole new opportunity. Our service bays now are not 24-7, 365, but in an autonomous world, they will be. And, and dealers, in, in fact, not only are dealers perfectly situated? I don't think anybody else can get situated any better than dealers are to do to provide that type of service. I, I would agree with that. Dealers are in every single community in the country, and nobody else has got that kind of infrastructure. But you raised a great issue there, Tim, this move to ride sharing and the like. We're seeing a younger generation not nearly as interested in cars as we were growing up. I don't mean to broadly say that because there's plenty of young people that love uh, cars and have a passion for it, but we right now have the lowest percentage of teenagers with a driver's license than since the automobile first appeared. Where do you all see this going? How much might all this ride sharing affect the sale of cars? Are, are people going to, not all of them, but are a significant number of people going to give up ownership of a car? You know, I, I think, and it, this, this is true on autonomy, it's true on ride sharing, and I think it's dangerous um, for the industry to make these great generalizations across the country because, you know, a market like um, Detroit, Michigan, or Lansing, Michigan, is so remarkably different than New York City or San Francisco. And I think, you know, when you talk about levels of interest in, um, in ride sharing, you know, Uber and Lyft, of course, being the dominant players in that, uh, you, you know, you, you you see, you see it shift all, all over the place. And the, the desire to own a car is different in San Francisco than it is in Detroit or Atlanta or L.A., for that matter, um, because of the amount of urban concentration that's there. So I think it's, I think it's very dangerous to uh, make broad generalizations that's affected. I think the right way for everybody to look at this is industry by industry, and be, or state by state, geography by geography, and be reactive to that in terms of what might, may or may not work. That being said, I think Uber and Lyft are here to stay. I think that um, it's, a, it, it's been it's, you know, change of game changer. Um, they need to start making money, I think. We put out the taxi business, essentially. But um, I think it's here to stay, for sure. Yeah. I, I would totally agree with your statement and take it a step further. You know, again, we're, we're retailers and we see the, 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 the love affair, if you will, with the, with the car. It, it's alive and well. You know, social media and, and kids today, things are a little different. Maybe they might get started a little bit different, but I'll tell you what, they're still excited to buy that first pre-owned car right. or, you know, drive mom and dad's car. That's still happening today. And you talked about the urban areas. Yeah, absolutely. I have a couple kids that live in, in big cities. Uh, is, a, is a car a good thing to have sometimes in a, in a big city? Maybe, maybe not. But you still have rural areas in, in suburbia that a rideshare program, which are wonderful. I use them when I travel as well. They're great. But if you're going to be uh, the average consumer uh, has six or nine trips a day, 
you're going to wait 15, 20 minutes for that vehicle to come and pick you up. Boy, I forgot this. I've got to run back to the store. So the rea somewhere between reality and, and the hype of it, we're going to meet together and find out the new norm. And the new norm is still people want personal transportation, personal mobility. That's what we sell, whether it be an EV, electric, or a combustion engine. That's what the American car dealer does. We're 16,500 strong, by the way. <laughs> Tim, how do you see it? I absolutely see it um, the same way, and, and that is um, that. And I can tell you, I've never I've never taken a call from a dealer concerned about autonomy, but I have taken calls from dealers saying I can't wait for an autonomous car because I want to. I can't wait for the day I can program my car to drive me to my dealerships. I can talk on on the phone. I can read a book, read a newspaper, take a nap, text while it drives. But I'm not going to take my neighbor with me, and my neighbor's not going to take me with him. So I want. We want our cars. Our cars are our sanctuary. That's the dealer's words, and, and we get that. And so ownership, I think, is, I, I personally think ownership is here to stay forever and ever. I think uh, the uh, shared rides may make a dent in, like, the fifth vehicle, the fourth vehicle, maybe the third vehicle, but we're still going to have cars that we go out the back door to the garage for as, as opposed to out the front door to the curb to pick up. We're getting down towards the end here, but one topic I wanted to touch on is this issue of margin compression with automotive retailers. So much competition going on. Uh, the NADA data shows that with passenger cars, the average dealer loses money on every new car that they sell. You know, Mark, how, how do you deal with this margin compression issue? You know what, it's uh, first and foremost, we go from the perspective of consumer affordability. That has to be there, otherwise we're, you know, it could be, there could be a wide margin or no margin, it wouldn't matter. So we need to sell cars and trucks. The rest of it is making sure that as a retailer, an automobile dealer, that our, our dealership operations are run properly. We talked a little bit about used cars. There's only one used car with that certain mileage and that certain uh, attribute about it. So there, there is plenty of opportunity to, to retail used vehicles, service body shop parts. We're a, a one-stop shop for consumers. We sell tires, we do oil changes, we have professionals. The American car dealers today uh, uh, employ over 1.1 million uh, employees in the country. That's more than manufacturing. So we're a force to be reckoned with. We're your neighbors who work for us, the college students. So um, we're part of the community, and you know what? We're dealing just fine with it. We, you know, we're, we're a place for consumers to stop, and we'll, we'll figure it out. We keep evolving every three, four years. Rob, we're down to the last minute. You get the final word here. Yeah, I think margin, you know, manufacturers, when you want to push out volume and gain market share, um, it becomes a little bit more difficult of an environment. But like Mark said, you, the, the transaction from the dealer perspective is broader than just what you're getting on the front end of the car. Uh, there's the service and parts, there's the F&I, and there's um, the trade and value, different components that you can help. In fact, if you look at last year, we improved our, um, our our margin by $84 a transaction, and what was a very difficult margin uh, margin environment. So, so you know, it, it, look, it makes you it makes you work. I think that's the beauty of the dealership business. I think it's a group of entrepreneurs, and 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 uh, the entrepreneurs figure out how to make it work. Look, we're going to have to wrap this up. I want to thank all three of you, Tim Jackson with the Colorado Dealers Association, Mark Scarpelli, a retailer of his own right, outgoing chairman of the NADA, Rob Kernick with Penske Automotive. Thank you so much for a very interesting discussion on the retail side of the business. Thanks for the thank opportunity. You. Thank you.